Good morning and welcome to the H2G Podcast presents The Wire, Episode 6. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to The Wire. We are ready back and we're going to talk about some new stuff because I'm very excited. Tony's going to lead us off. We've been doing a lot of NBA and NFL, and it's not that we don't need to talk about the NBA, but you know what? We're going to see it in six weeks. So let's get to the topic at hand. Tony, I know you've been excited about this. We got the Masters coming. So why don't you kick it off for us? Masters talk. Yeah, Richie, uh, it's a little weird to um, be talking about the Masters right now. I mean, if you're if you follow golf, you know, the Masters happens normally in April. You know, it's played at Augusta National Golf Course uh, in Augusta, Georgia, and it's been around since 1934. So it's a little weird to be talking about golf right now in November. Like, really? Is this really going to happen? What's going to happen here? So, I mean, I don't know how you all feel about golf, but, uh, you know, last year Tiger Woods won. So that was kind of a big deal. Uh, because everybody thought that, you know, Tiger would never win again. Uh, I know this year, Sergio Garcia had to withdraw from the Masters because he uh, tested positive with COVID-19. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's go around real quick. And if if you know a little bit about golf and and tell me what you think your uh, Masters odds are on who you would like to win or probably will win. Marvin. Well, Tony, I'm right there with you, and I love me some golf, man. I've been uh, been playing for a long time, and I got to tell you, I mean, I'm like you. It's weird to be talking about the Masters coming up in November, you know, because the weather conditions are going to be a huge factor to play um, in Augusta this year. I mean, when you look at the Masters last year, um, Tiger Woods didn't dominate the field. And so you've got those top 10, those top 10 finishers, such as you know Brooks Kepsa, Brooks Kepka, uh, Dustin Johnson, who's the number one player in the world. It's going to be a toss-up this year. Um, I'm interested to see how the field plays out because the odd makers really they they say a lot of things you know every year, um, but it's really anyone's tournament you know going into the Masters. It's every it's every player that has been playing consistent uh, up into the point uh, to the Masters. You know from you know pga tournaments to the, the pga championship it's that level of consistency so uh hopefully for me i'm predicting that tiger will prevail and get his sixth green jacket and i predict that it might be his last green jacket if he does win because tiger as we all know has been playing for a long time you know five green jackets is is a tough feat uh, this the field is very competitive, and Tiger had said a couple of weeks ago something that was very interesting, y'all. He said uh, he was tired of the pundits and some of the players talking about uh, Tiger being finished. You know, saying that okay, his best days are behind him. Well, he did a comparison to LeBron James. He said you can go out and and dominate the field for maybe a month or uh, a, a year or so, but. Can you do it for five years? Can you do it for 10 years? Can you do it for an entire decade? You know, that level of consistency. Uh, so I, I think Tiger will will ultimately put it together this time and, and walk away with his sixth green jacket and ultimately uh, 
you know, leave on top. You know, I think Champions Tour is right around the corner. But I think if anyone had to challenge Tiger this year, being the reigning champion, I would have to say it might have to be Dustin, just Dustin Johnson. Um, he's been playing. He's been playing phenomenal up to this point. Uh, when you look at his short game, he's just been playing a level level of consistency that's put him that's put him in this conversation. So, uh, the biggest takeaway from the Masters being in November, hopefully the players can, you know, take a closer look at the pin placements, and because that's going to play a huge factor. Augusta's an extremely hard course to play, and if anybody can get it done, I think it'll be Tiger. That's fair, man. Um, it's always hard for me. Tiger is like, you know, one of my favorite athletes in general. And I think part of it being I was a caddy. So like I was like 10 years, 11 years old carrying golf bags when he, his rise kind of started. And I just remember just being very confident seeing somebody dominate. I was like, oh, this is the greatest golfer ever. My dad was always like Jack Nicholas, right? So I'm very curious to see Tiger's pursuit because, you know, he one more, one more coat and he ties he ties Jack for the most masters of all. I think he's what two or three behind him in total, like actual grand champions. So he's getting close. Although I believe Tiger has the most wins in PGA. So I think Tiger still has that, but I, I would really like to see Tiger win just because like I said, I want to see that like, you know, you, you have the MJ and LeBron talk all the time. And at the end of the day, in, in an individual sport, not like a team sport, I think championships are more significant when you're talking metrics. And I want to be able to have that conversation of is that, that Tiger is potentially better than Jack, because it's still hard for me to say that when Jack clearly is still winning. And it, it's really unfortunate, too, because like Tiger had this massive dominance and then obviously personal life kind of hit in and then physically things hit in. And that's a big part of why he kind of dropped. So it's not, you know, that's what always makes things challenging with sports. Uh, but having said that, I got to go with Rory, man. We talked about it, Marv. Rory hasn't won one yet. And I'm shocked he hasn't won one. And may maybe the crowd not being there will kind of be that albatross that he's he's missing. Right. Because to me, when I think of when I think of everything, I, I love the British and all of those. And they're they're challenging. But I think of the green jacket. I think of the Masters. And this is going to be a unique experience when Tony had brought it up. I was trying to think about, like, what makes this unique? And it's, well, there's nobody there. We're going to get to see the course like there's no stakes. There's no people. We'll get to see it in all its beauty, although it's going to be a different look because it's November. So I'm, I'm very curious about that. And I think it's going to be a really cool experience, actually. And I'll be honest, I least love golf, used to watch it all the time and I haven't. But I do plan on watching this weekend because I'm really excited to see the course and like in its actual course. You know, I'm used to playing on a golf course where you don't have like a gallery and you don't have all these people. So you just get to see the beauty of it and you get to see the green and the rough and, you know, just see that, the, how awesome it is and usually how well they trim it and things like that. And just getting to see the beauty of Augusta is going to be pretty crazy. So, you know, um, the, the underdog in me is rooting for Rory McIlroy. The Tiger fan in me that wants that comparison is Tiger, but I, I'm going to stick with Rory for now. So Rory's my pick. Well, I don't watch golf, but I have played golf and I would not want to play it in November. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think that would help my odds at all. Now, I didn't. I was we were talking before the show. I can get through nine holes or 18, whatever we're doing. I can get through. I don't I don't I'm not so bad that I'll get frustrated. I'm just going to lose miserably. Um, so that would be amplified in this season. 
it is uh you know when i have watched golf it's been all about tiger and he's been doing it a long time and after hearing you guys talk i i love that kind of story and uh you know we're going to talk fighting later on but like randy couture towards the end of his career the stuff that he accomplished that kind of that kind of story always hits my heart so i'll root for a tiger in this last one yeah so let's let's uh let's break it down here so that way everyone gets an understanding justin i agree with you um except for augusta georgia is going to be some nice weather so you know thursday is going to be 78 degrees friday is going to be 78 degrees saturday is going to be 69 and sunday is going to be 74. here's the bad news it's going to be raining all four of those days <laughs> so so i i agree with you on that part for richie um, he is tied right now with uh, Sam Snead at 82 total career victories. So uh, he'll he'll need one more just PGA Tour victory to be the all time that record. Yeah, for the all time. Um, and then yeah, he's behind Jack uh, by two. So you know to give people some odds here. Here's the 2020 Masters odds. You got uh, Dustin Johnson nine to one. Um, you've got Justin Thomas, 12 to 1. You got Roy McElroy, uh, 14 to 1. Uh, you've got Brooks uh, Copa, did I say that right? Copa, 16 to 1. Uh, let me see if I can find Tiger here. Let me keep looking here. You got Bubba Watson, 28 to 1. Patrick Reed, 28 to 1. Jason Tiger's Day, 35. 30, 33 to 1. Uh, Jordan Speed. 40 to 1. Oh, there's Tiger. Tiger's 35 and 1. So those are the odds. But you never know. Anything can happen on any given day. I say that all the time with any sports. Um, j- just because it's a Thursday, it's a Sunday, it's a Monday night, it, you know, any given Sunday, any given one of those days, any team can win. And I think that's true when it comes to golf as well. Uh, you know, you're playing basically the course and you're playing yourself. So as long as you do the fundamentals and all the stuff that you practice throughout the time that it takes you to get here, uh, it really comes down to if Tiger wants to win, Tiger will win. If Roy McIlroy wants to win, Roy will win. Um, you just have to have that mental mindset to uh, you know, excel and not uh, go backwards. But hey, it's golf. You know how it is. I play golf myself and Hey man, I, I kick my own ass all the time, and not not in a good way, you know, obviously. But you know, I definitely I definitely don't shoot what they shoot. Go ahead, Mark. I want to ask you guys a question. I want to ask you guys a question, Richie. What you said about Roy, that it being his time. Do you guys think that the field is intimidated by Tiger anymore? Do you think that the that the field this Sunday is just like okay, Tiger is at this stage of his career where he's not as dominant as he once was. Some of those guys, you think they, they're thinking to themselves, I might have a shot. Um, to me, I'm just going to say this. I don't think anyone's intimidated. I don't think anyone has that mystique that Tiger used to have nowadays. But I will say this. If Tiger is like even in top three, top five, and he's wearing his Sunday red, I guarantee people going to be scared Like as far as that yeah. goes. I don't think going into the tournament, there's anyone that's like, concern like tiger's gonna wash me because i don't think like and don't get me wrong it was awesome to see him win last year i thought that was incredible and um i just but i don't know i i I think it would have to be if he's in a position 
of potentially winning and it's Sunday, yeah, I think everyone's gonna be horrified. And I think that's where you'll see like a guys like Rory probably choke. But um, I don't think like going yes. like, oh crap, it's tight. I don't think anyone like, cause again, like from my understanding, Rory's kind of been the guy lately, but like he hasn't even won a master. So I don't think anyone's worried about him either. I don't think there's a perennial favorite at this point. I don't think this is like two, the, the glory days of like 2002 to 2008. Right. It's not the Grand Slam days. Sweet. Yeah. So I don't, I don't anticipate that. Yeah. So, you know, like I stated in my previous statement, it, it hasn't started yet. So really there's no need to be intimidated at all by anybody because it doesn't, it doesn't matter to you go out on the golf course. I know the question you're trying to ask Marvin, um, but I agree with Richie and I'm going to keep it at that. I'm not going to make this long winded. The best part about last year was Tiger. That was his first time winning coming back. Think about that. Think about how long he's been playing golf. He's never come from behind to win a major championship ever until last year, 2019 Masters. I just, when you say it like that, I'm just like, really? That's that's shocking, you know, that uh, he's never ever come back and he wasn't that far back, but it just goes to show how he's matured throughout his career and how things can happen. Um, I would never count Tiger Woods out just because he's so dominant and you never know what's gonna happen. Um, but yeah, the game's definitely changed. The, the game's definitely changed. And the only person that can beat you is yourself. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited. Tony, something just came to mind. You and I, we tried to keep some of our Steeler talks off here so that we don't flood this place with Steeler talk. And we were talking, you said, I'd rather have a team that can figure out how to win. Um, and I think some of that comes from experience. Like, a, you know, a team is solid when they are experienced and they, they've seen enough to figure that equation out in the moment. And that, if that's what Tiger did last year, again, you know, coming from a guy that doesn't, that honestly doesn't sit down and watch it. Uh, it just kind of brought back that quote that you said to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, Justin. Absolutely. Anything else that wants to be said about golf? Anybody? No. We'll see what happens. Four four days. Four days of Augusta National. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, this gets me to my favorite conversation that's getting ready to go down, okay? Because if you listen to last week's wire, you would have heard me say M-A-A. First off, Mr. Tony, it's not M-A-A, it's M-M-A. Okay, so that just goes to show you that I don't know anything about what we're about to talk about. But it made me think, and I and, and I, I sat down and I watched some videos, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, like this is this is in depth. I said, so let me play a game with my fellow cohorts here, and and see if they're okay with it. So this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna have a debate about the greatest MMA fighter that you all believe to you. But I need you to persuade me, a person that doesn't know that much about MMA, on why they are the greatest fighter. And then I can pick between your arguments and your retorts or, and all other kinds of conversations that you all might have. We're gonna keep it clean, we're gonna keep it friendly. Uh, it might get a little nasty, you know, with uh, you know how hot we might get, but we're, we're not gonna call people out their names. So. 
whoever wants to open up the floor, I have in my mind, you know, somebody that I was persuaded on. And then I had a conversation with somebody and they was like, Anderson Silva, really? You don't know that much about Anderson Silva then. And I was like, okay, let me keep looking into it. You know, so then I looked at some, you know, JJ, you know, I looked at Jones and they was like, eh, eh, eh. So here we go. Who wants to open it up to try to persuade me on who the best MMA fighter of all times is? I'll open up. I always feel like the person doesn't want to do that. But you know what? I know I have absolutely 100% what I consider the greatest. And then again, this is challenging, guys, because this is all subjective and this is all personal belief. But I'm going to go with why I think my guy is the best. And then I'm also going to counter before anyone else says anything on why I think the others are not better than him. So to me, Georges St. Pierre is the greatest MMA fighter. And there's going to be a lot of great names you're going to hear. And again, this is all conjecture, guys. This isn't like one definitive person. But I truly believe Georges St. Pierre is the greatest. Now, he has lost before. And so has another excellent guy, Anderson Silva. And I'm sure we will hear that. Tony kind of alluded to it. And technically, John Jones has lost slash has also had uh, no contest. So we'll get into all of this stuff during this debate, I'm sure. But uh, I want to go over his losses first. He's had two losses. So he came into the UFC and he got hot shotted. So basically he was just marketable and he was the only Canadian star. So he had two wins and then they threw him in to a title fight. Now, realistically, that shouldn't happen. But this was early UFC and Dana White at the time thought it was a good marketing strategy to face him against Matt Hughes, who was an American wrestler and at the time had four defenses already had won. So he just thought this is a great opportunity. Hall yeah. of Famer. Absolute Hall of Famer. You have you have your Western, you know, USA cowboy versus this very soft spoken French Canadian. And he did lose to Matt Hughes, as a matter of fact. And um, again, a lot of that, in my opinion, had to do with just the principle of he was too inexperienced. He was very young. I believe he was 23 at the time, maybe 24. And he lost in the first. He actually lost at the very end of the first round to an arm bar. He just straight up lost. So he had to work his way back up, went through five fights, and he ended up beating him for the title afterwards when he actually had what I consider had enough experience. I don't believe anyone should ever get a fight in less than six or seven fights, like a title fight. So that was a mistake, and it's not something the UFC has ever replicated, and we'll get into that later. So anyways, he ended up after he'd won confident he boom albatross off he actually lost to this random guy matt sarah and he's not random he's actually the training partner of matt hughes and was an excellent jujitsu guy so he had once again had to prove himself he didn't just get an instant rematch he ended up beating matt hughes and he ended up beating matt sarah again for it and then afterwards he went on a stretch of i believe 13 wins consecutively and here's the here's the crazy part and this is why i think this is important this man literally it was never close he, there was never a fight he was in where there was a split decision. He absolutely won. Now, he did not knock out everyone, and that's where I think we'll have these conversations of what we define as the greatest. But he always dominated everyone. When you went into a Georgia St. Pierre fight, nobody ever picked you. You were never going to win. There, are, there have been moments with these other guys that we'll get into later where at some point, there was some doubt, including Anderson and Silver after he had first lost. Now, when he wasn't losing, nobody questioned the spider either. But Georgia St. Pierre, once he became champion, nobody ever questioned him and he never lost. And I think the biggest thing why I'm gonna give it to my guy is that he ended up going up in weight, no tune-up fight, 
straight for middleweight. He took a four-year break, retired, king of the world, welterweight, nobody could beat him. He retired, went into acting, four years later came back and said, no, 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 I'm not gonna go back into the welterweight. I've already done that. I'm gonna go into middleweight. He took that belt and then he took it and he said, vacate it, I'm done. I just wanted to show I'm still the best. Now, there's a lot of things about Georgia St. Pierre I'm not thrilled with. I would have loved if him and Anderson Silva fought. That was a big super fight everyone always wanted and it never happened. Now, there's two guys, in my opinion, that we can have a conversation of that are even on his level, and that's John Jones and Anderson Silva. So I'm going to go into John first because I think that's probably the better sell, in my opinion. John Jones is incredible. His only actual loss was his lack of understanding UFC and doing striking elbows vertically on a grounded opponent. It's the only reason he lost, and it's because he was just inexperienced. We talk about inexperience. So even though it is a loss, it's to me, it's like George's. He was too inexperienced and made a mistake, and it's the only reason he even lost. Now, there are two reasons, and they're big ones to me, why I will never consider him the greatest. Two times he failed drug tests, people. Okay? That's an asterisk to me. It's just like, uh, it's trying to say Barry Bonds is the greatest home run hitter of all time. Now, yes, he has the greatest single season record. Yes, he was an incredible hitter, and I'm not implying of his skill or his prowess so that he needed steroids to be successful. And during that period of time, you're also going to talk about like everyone was doing it and that's going to be the argument sometimes with this stuff. But the reality is not everyone is juicing in the UFC and more importantly, he was the first and only UFC fighter to be stripped due to that doping. He's the only champion to ever be caught doping. He lost his title. Then after he took a year off because of it, he had to take a year off. He came back, fought again fought a second time and he got he, he did it again and it was against the same guy twice daniel cormier so they had a third little setup and they fought but the point being is two times this guy has been caught doping and that's just reality guys i can't consider like in terms of skills skill set i think he's a better skill set than georgia st pierre he's an amazing striker amazing wrestler this dude is a beast and i honestly and there is one way he can sell me on being the greatest, and I'm gonna say it right now. Do what George's St. Pierre did, and it's what he wants to do. He wants to go to heavyweight, and he wants to fight Miko Stipe Miocic. And if he fights Stipe and he beats him at heavyweight, I will 1000% say George's is not the best, and John Jones is, even with the doping. Even with the doping, I will say he's the best then. If he can move up and not take a tune-up fight, but fight the champ, because that's what George's did, and he did it on a four-year break, people. So that's my only, Thing with John is not his loss because it's not a loss, but he was he doped. He did drugs. He got caught twice and he was out of the out of the UFC twice for that. Now, there's some personal things, too, with cocaine and a pregnant lady. I'm not going to get into that. That has nothing to do with his skill as a fighter. But the bottom line is two times he caught got caught doping so that sorry, I don't need to see a third time. Clearly, you've cheated before and it's possible you're doing it now. The other thing I will say is there are also two split decisions we can talk about later because somebody else is going to talk about that and I'm not just going to wail into it. As far as Anderson Silva goes, I think that dude was a beast and if he had just stopped after the first Chris Weedman conversation of him losing, then I feel like he'd have a great argument. But the problem is, and let me just go after this real quick, he loses to Chris Weedman, fights him again, loses again. Then he gets a unanimous decision, but guess what? Boy dope, so it went no contest. Then a loss to Michael Bisping, a loss to Daniel Cormier. He beats Derek Brunson, loses again, loses again, and loses again. So unfortunately, the man went from, in my opinion, the greatest MMA fighter to just making one small mistake of, okay, fine, you lost to the guy and you wanted to fight and you lost to him again. After that, just retire. 
but he just he couldn't do it, man. And you can't go from, I don't know, 33 and five to like 33 and 11 in the span of like three years, you know, like to me, that already kind of puts him out of the equation. I think if you want to just go in a vacuum on his reign during his reign, easily you could argue the greatest fighter of all time but you have to look at careers in its totality and i think that's why i think anderson's kind of out so the last person i'm just going to say very briefly is fedor emilienko but i'm already and he's a heavyweight he's an incredible fighter and an amazing in pride but there's one reason why i'm already gonna say fedor is out doping you were able to dope in pride anyone from pride i'm as based on john who's incredible i'm gonna immediately say no thanks Fedor was a dominant heavyweight and easily the greatest heavyweight of all time, but he was doping too. I can't, I can't support cheaters, man. I want to see a pure sport, a pure fighting at the highest level. So to me, just because John's a doper, that's why George is ahead of him. And these are people caught doping. We'll just say. Yes. Caught doping. There are multiple people who have doped. <laughs> yeah, for sure. John Jones has been caught twice. Marvin, uh, I I can let you go or all right. I I don't disagree. I don't disagree with the names. And this this is I knew this question was coming. You you gave me a heads up on this. Um, to talk greatest of all time, Richie's absolutely right. You've you've nailed the three that you have to bring up: Anderson Silva, John Jones, and George St. Pierre. They've all okay. So Anderson Silva absolutely dominant in the middle and light heavyweight divisions he held the us he holds the ufc record of a 2457 day uh consecutive win or yeah 2457 days as champ he has the record of most consecutive wins with 16. john jones he beat uh shogun hua at 23 made him the youngest title holder in history He's never lost the belt to an opponent, um, as we talked of, as Richie mentioned. Um, and and in that fight against Matt Hamill, with the exception of that elbow, he was dominating the fight. Uh, nothing against Matt Hamill, extraordinary guy, extraordinary story, outmatched there. That was an experience, I agree with you, Richie. Um, and before we get into the negatives, and then GSP. GSP is a technical genius. He's held both the welter and middleweight straps. Um, he's equally dangerous striking. He's got nine co consecutive title defenses. He's he has he held the most title wins with 13, and the only person that surpassed him was John Jones with 14. Um, and the the thing that I admire the most about GSP is he's won. He's gotten revenge on both of the people that have beaten him. So that is an impressive career. So with those three, I had to look at it and. and uh, what what would qualify one over the three out of the three gsp because he hasn't defeated himself i think anderson silva defeated himself before his fight um with uh what's what was weidman i i think that he had gone into this new arrogance um he's always been cocky he's always been able to do that because of his speed because of his technical prowess because of how good of a martial artist anderson silva truly is and should be considered one of the best of all time, but he can't be the best of all time because he doesn't know when to quit. And I agree. Um, and he, he's too cocky for too long. You got to understand yourself and your body. And uh, he, he stopped doing that. And that's that's crucial in martial arts. Um, John Jones defeats himself outside of the cage. 
I think his lifestyle is ultimately what leads to decisions like I need the dope to be able to fight someone as big as Daniel Cormier um, and somebody as dominant. Uh, and I, I not to say that he has any reason to be scared because I think John Jones could be, again, one of the best fighters of all time, but he's just defeating himself. George St. Pierre didn't do that. However, on paper, doesn't look as good as the other two I mentioned. So I want to bring up somebody that you probably didn't expect me to say might be greatest of all time. And Tony, I think you should take a look at her name is Amanda Nunes. She's definitely, without a doubt, the best female mixed martial artist. Um, there's no way to argue it because um, she has defeated every champ in the, both the Bantam and Featherweight division. She Not only did she beat Ronda Rousey, Cyborg, and Holly Helm, but she did it all in the first round. She's cleaned out both divisions and holds both straps right now. At this point, Dana White can't find her an opponent. Nobody can put on a show against this girl because nobody can get out of the first round with her. I think that that, that performance, the uh, the prowess, unless she gets caught doping, you know what I mean? Uh, she is a Brazilian powerhouse, and I don't I don't know, man. I think I think it's she's making history. Um, and if we're talking greatest of all time, and we've got those other three to consider. She's not putting off all that negative shit. She's she's rising, climbing, and absolutely dominated. I'm gonna go with Amanda on that. Marvin. Um I mean you could put if you put the controversies of, of John Jones aside. Um, and you look strictly at his career and you look at the stat line, I mean, there hasn't been a prodigy more like Jones in the MMA since ever. I mean, if you look at almost every fight he's been into, he's had, he's got, he's had a sharp strategy to win every fight, innovative techniques. I mean, I think Richie, I mean, the first loss really was because he was, we was new to the game, unorthodox uh, striking. I can get that. And I can understand, you know, if you believe George uh, Pierre St. Paul, I mean, Pierre St. Paul is, uh, is better than John Jones. I get that. I get that. But if you look at John Jones's winning percentage, I mean, 94%. I mean, come on, man. I mean, 16, I mean, 15 world titles, 15 world titles. That's how I define a GOAT the greatest of all time is by the titles. I mean, you can look at the cheating aspect of it, but there's controversy into that. I mean, we don't know that for a fact. I mean, I just believe that John has surpassed a lot of these guys as the number one fighter in the world. I mean, even though he's making this transition to heavyweight, I think John has proved time and time and again that there's been nobody that can really touch him. I mean, this guy's been, like I said, a master of his craft and has defeated, you know, Daniel Cormier twice. And Justin, I disagree with you. The first time he didn't need this, the dope to beat Daniel Cormier. That fight was decisive. That fight was easily decisive. I mean, he's lucky that he didn't catch it with that spinning back fist at the beginning of the fight. <laughs> I mean, he's lucky about that, but I think in terms of who I think is the greatest of all time, I mean, it's John Jones flat out. I mean, if you put the controversies, like I said, to the side, there's really been no one that is uh, 
that has come close in the last decade to me. To clarify, I said he didn't need the dope to fight Daniel Cormier. He didn't need it, but he did it. That's the point. And that's it's a tainted, it's a tainted story now. You know, to me I mean the man was taking Cialis. Had bad substances in it. I mean, come on. The man, man. is like the, getting busted man, with cocaine up his nose. And, I mean, it, he's a bad man, a, dude. He is the baddest man, man on the planet. But I, I can't Barbie keep giving him breaks. Before games. I can't keep giving him breaks. <laughs> you know? I'm not gonna keep giving Antonio Brown breaks either, man. I'm I'm not gonna do it. They gotta they got they gotta be professional. In my opinion, you are in the eye of everybody in this sport. Everybody's watching. And if you're that damn good, which he is, which makes no sense about him. That's why I'm pissed, Marvin. I want to agree with you so bad because him and Anderson Silva are my idols in martial arts. They're amazing. They have both crushed my soul with their 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 dumb decisions, man. Dumb, dumb decisions. And I think that's true. That's true. I, and I and I never and I never said he needed the drugs to beat Daniel Cormier. I don't think that he did. No, no, I don't. Anyone, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think anyone here is claiming that he needs drugs to beat anybody. I don't. I think his skill set alone is a testament to that but i he's very fortunate that a 30 month suspension became 18 months otherwise we wouldn't even be talking about this guy right now you saw to cut him a break honestly because it's not even about the cocaine like i said i'm not even talking about cocaine or the hitting the pregnant woman in a car thing i'm just talking about two times the dude got caught for toping and to be specific this is a quick final round because i think tony deserves to have his who he thinks let's just do a quick little recap like here's my 15 seconds i it's hard for me to argue me and news i think that's a good pick justin i'm not going to go into that other than she's very dominant right now but it's hard to judge the caliber of who she's fought because of how f new amanda's dominance has been i think that's the only quote unquote bad thing per se but she's everyone in front of her took him out and took out a doper and cyborg as far as John, my biggest thing is he has two split decisions. And honestly, Dominic Reyes and Tiago were the last two. And most people didn't think he beat Dominic. And now he's going to heavyweight and kind of ducking Dominic, in my opinion. So that's kind of my thing with John. It's not even just a doping thing. He There are fights where he looks bad. Alexander Gustavin, like he looked really bad against him the first time. Tiago, like I said, Santos was split. Most people thought Dominic Reyes potentially could have won. There have been fights where John just, it didn't necessarily mean John won. And for me with GSP, I'm not saying he didn't lose, he did lose. But once he became a champion, it was never close. There was never a split decision. Nobody ever thought the dude was gonna lose. And until I see John buck up and fight Stipe, and he wants to. And if he does it, like I said, I will. we will be on the wire and Richie Phillips will amend his greatest of all time talk. I'll say doping or not, I've never seen a man go up 75 pounds to fight another grown man. And if he does that, he's the, he's the GOAT. But until then, I'm sticking with GSP. Well, I'm looking forward to you cutting him another break soon. And back to you, Justin, I think that Amanda Nunes is a good pick. But if I had to convince Tony in this conversation, I think that Zhang Wei Li is on her way up there and could challenge that. Yeah, fairly new to the game, but she's dominant dominant and i really think that amanda nunez wouldn't work that wouldn't want that work with zang way lee it's a different kind of thing wouldn't want that smoke now i would tell tony to go look up a tape of zang way lee and amanda nunez and 
you're gonna be impressed with what you see, Tony, from Zhang Wei Lee. This she's like gangbusters. <laughs> she doesn't play around. She barely gets hit. She gives them out. Fighter, and she she's like thirty pounds less than me. Yeah. All right, Tony. My last my last fifteen is is real easy because when you talk about women in the UFC, it's fairly new. So the names that come to mind probably for you are Cyborg, Ronda Rousey, and Holly Helm because they've been the dominant ones. All I have to say is Amanda took care of all three of them in the first round with no problems, and she's still trucking. All right. Well, you know, everybody had great points, um, you know, so I'm just going to do some questions here. Um, For Marvin, for Jones, for me, you know, everybody goes through their their ups and downs, but mental capacity and doing what you know is right uh, goes a long way with me. So big Tiger Woods fan. And, you know, Tiger went through what he went through. I was so disappointed with that. Uh, That's the only thing I can compare it to um, with uh, Jones. Uh, I I also like Barry Bonds and I was upset when all that came out. Uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, you know, so you have all that stuff that, that, you know, people can have arguments about hands down greatest talent, probably that, you know, for what he does, but the same could have been said about Antonio Brown, greatest talent could have actually been able to beat Jerry Rice in certain records, but the mentality kind of caught up with him. Uh, I do like Richie's point about if he goes up in this, in the weight class and fights that person, uh, how that could might escalate or change Richie's point of view. So, uh, you know, for me, Jones would not be the one that I'd go with. For Justin, I have to ask, who's Kat Zingano? Does anybody know who Kat Zingano is? Uh, I do not. Do you know, Richie? Yeah, Kat Zingano was was, uh, an incredible athlete. And during her reign of terror, she actually did beat Amanda, but then went on a or loss streak right after it. I don't know what happened to me. I would say that's it's kind of like George, where it was a fluke. George's St. Pierre lost to Matsera, and I think Amanda underestimated her. But the bottom line is Kat Sagano um, started off hot. And then sizzled out right after she beat Amanda Nunez. She never, I don't think she even won. She might have won one fight. It'd be a good redemption fight, for sure. She's still trying to fight, but Kat Zagano is mostly doing Bellator and like left UFC because they they cut her because of her lost streak. So I had to look, I had to look some things up when you were talking. And and that's what came up to me was the Kat Zagano fight with with, uh, Amanda. And I was just like, okay, like they said it was a terrible. You know, you but you said Richie fluke. It can happen, right? People lose. You know, sometimes you know no one's perfect. (laughs) So, so I mean, if it was perfect, it'd be a different story. But uh, I'm gonna have to say, my fellow wire nets that are watching and listening, that um, I don't think I can make a decision right now. I think that I have to do a little bit of research. I I do like Justin bringing up. Uh, you know, the person that he brought up and Richie bringing up the person that he brought up. And so just to recap it, we've got GSP for Richie and we've got Amanda Nunez. Hopefully I said the last name correct 
for yes. Justo. So I'm going to do some film watching. And, uh, you know, maybe next week I, I'll have a decision. Uh, they, everybody had great points. And thank you so much for the points that you that you brought up. If anybody has anything else to say real quick before we take a quick uh, break, uh, I'll allow the floor for anybody if they want to say anything. But I definitely want to do more research. Everyone had valid points. And I just want to see with my own eyes before I make a decision. I don't want to. I don't want to take it away from Amanda Nunez, but I, I, I do have to agree. I, I'm sure everyone was expecting Richie and I to go at it more than we did, but I think we have a similar mindset in fighters. <laughs> uh, I, I think the only question with her is how long can she keep it up? Um, she, she hasn't had a long run at this dominance yet, but it's at the point right now where you've got a promoter who's like, who can we, who can we put her on a card with? Because we're past the days where you can keep feeding champs scum. You know, the, the the fans will lose interest real quick if you just keep throwing these bum matches in. So he's he's searching for the one, you know. Uh, but I, I do, when Richie said that, you know, that kind of strikes a chord. How long can she be this dominant? And is there, you know, is there another one lurking in the shadows waiting to come up and, uh, and reap, reap havoc? But right now, man, she's looking hot. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I don't want to say too much either. I, I like, honestly, you can't go wrong with John Chat and split Marv pick. And I, I think GSP is a fine pick too. I think Amanda Nunez is great. I think the only thing with the Amanda one is it's just harder in the sense of like we're talking about. We have two established guys who have a, a huge, long history of a career, whereas Amanda has been dominant for about three and a half years. And I think Zhang, if she can get her weight up, that's like the only real super fight. And not to throw anything against Amanda Nunez. I think what makes it challenging is the women's division. It's kind of like the early UFC in that you have some incredible talent, but then you have a lot of people that you're throwing them in there because you're wanting to get a roster and find talent. And I think that's what makes it so hard is it's not like, it's kind of like, how do I want to say this? It's kind of like football where sometimes people like say, oh, well, that's a, that's, that's a bad win because that's a bad team. And it's, can you, can you, really judge Amanda Nunez by her competition and outside of the three and she's dominated the champions. So that's what to Justin's point. And that's where it's like, okay, maybe some of these people aren't great, but she, the, the only people who are any good, she's dominated, like absolutely dominated. So I think the only thing with the Amanda thing is just like, it's just a small amount, but just like Khabib, that would have been another choice. Good choice. It's hard to, to go against it because you just don't know who her, her opponent's quality will be like John and George's do. So I think you do have a lot to look into, Tony, because you really do have to decide is beating the only people credible in the division that that title? Because if that's, if, you know, if that's fair, then fair to it because Amanda's been dominating. Um, but th to me, that's the only Amanda slight. John, the only slight again is do you find doping an issue or do you find the unanimous you know, some of the splits in issue and George's, well, he's lost. I mean, any one of these you could easily make an argument against. So, and we're, and we're all in agree that in the women's division, she is goat right now, right? Oh yeah. No, she's the goat of women already. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah. like nobody to even talk about. She, Cyborg. I was just letting you know who's coming. <laughs> yeah, and if she, again, she's just too small to fight Amanda right now. But if Zhang can like build up her, cause she's like what, 115, he's like tiny. So yeah. like 20 plus pounds behind Amanda. And that's a big, and as we all know, it's the fight game, that's huge. Yeah. She strikes like Mike Tyson though. She, she hits, yeah, she hits like she's one. 
It's crazy. <laughs> All right. So it's, it looks like I'm going to do a little bit more research. And then hopefully next week on The Wire, I can give a little bit more feedback on, on the route that I'm going to take. You're watching and listening to The Wire. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with you with some NFL. Are you tired of the mundane one subject, one point of view podcast? Have you been searching for a show that combines comedy, games, current events, and hot new up and coming artists? Well, look no further. The H2G podcast has everything you need to start your week out right. So what are you waiting for? Stream previous seasons now at h2gpodcast.com. The H2G Podcast, Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Available at all social media platforms near you. Welcome back to The Wire. It's time, yet again, to talk football. So real quick, I'm going to do a recap of some news here before we actually get into the actual storylines and the recaps of the game. So the Falcons wave former first round defensive end Tack McKinley. If you don't know who he is, he was the 26th overall pick back in 2017. They have decided to go their different ways. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are optimistic about Ben Roethlisberger's knee and should be able to play next week's game. Uh, however, for the Steelers, the, the tight end Vance McDonald tested positive for COVID, so he now lands on the reserve COVID-19 list. The Cowboys are expected to start Andy Dalton, uh, so as long as he's been cleared. And last but not least, some good news for the Browns fans. Nick Chubb is going to be able to return from the injured reserve list and should be able to play next week. So... What happened this past weekend? Wow, up and downs for a lot of teams. Blood pressure is boiling for a lot of people. So I'm gonna go ahead and do the recap for you just so that way you know. The Packers took care of the 49ers 34 to 17. The Texans played the Jaguars, almost tried to lose to the Jaguars, but they won 27 to 25. The New York Giants in that awesome, amazing division took care of the Washington football team. The Ravens stood up and stood out against the Colts 24 to 10. The Vikings beat the Lions by 14 points, 34 to 20. The Titans took care of the Bears 24 to 17. The Chiefs tried to find a way to lose, but that offense is just so special. 33 to 31 against the Panthers. The Bills, the Bills, 44 to the Seahawks, 34. Falcons, Broncos, the Falcons took care of the Broncos, 34 to 27. The Raiders played the Chargers and they beat the Chargers, 31 to 26. The Dolphins and the Cardinals, the story of the two young quarterbacks, my fellow men that are sitting here with me. The Dolphins took care of the Cardinals, 34 to 31. The Steelers tried to find a way to lose the game, but ended up winning the game 24 to 19 over the Cowboys. The Patriots are back in the game as of right now. It's still the third quarter against the Jets. It's 17 to 20, but the Jets are leading. So maybe the Jets will win. Hopefully by the end, uh, actually, I know for sure 
that at the end of this show, you won't know who won. So uh, we'll be able to talk about that a little bit later. The upset of the week, not really the upset of the week, but it's definitely eye-opening. The Saints, 38 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, three? Wow. So let's just start, let's just start going around the horn right now. Or I shouldn't say around the horn, excuse me, around the horn people, but let's go around the table <laughs> real quick. Um, Justo, do you want to pass? Do you want to defer or do you want to play, take the ball on this game right here? You ready? I'm going to give it to you. Dolphins, Cardinals. I'll defer on the young quarterbacks. Okay, you'll defer. I'll give it to you. Panthers, Chiefs. Mm. I'll defer. Okay. All right. You're going to make me say it. Okay. <laughs> Steelers, Cowboys. I mean, it's just the game that I'm going to have the most to say about, and I That's won't okay. say it all. I'll, I'll take the ball. And it's, it's just, man, it's like I'm a broken record. I'm sitting over here talking about Ben Roethlisberger every week and how he's playing by himself. And now he's he's getting banged up. And he's making these these decisions that, that aren't necessarily his right mind. And um, it, we're talking about now, what, an 8-0 team. Best, you know, best record. But we can't, we can't talk about Super Bowl champions right now, right? Because they almost lost to the fucking Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys, who have been playing like dog shit all season. How is this a Super Bowl team? I'm not convinced in my own team. I'm sick to my stomach thinking this is our shot because uh, we are playing. We do have a a stellar defense this year. We have the makings of a Super Bowl team. I see the Super Bowl team, but I don't know what the hell they're doing every week. And I don't understand how after all this time, we still can't figure out how to give Ben a little bit of a break. I, I'm, I know that he is the best at what he does in regards to moving around and being a big guy in that pocket, but there's only so many hits the, the dude's going to take. And and then what? Then what are we going to do if he goes down for good? I mean, he's expected to come back. The, the Steelers are hopeful, right? I'm still just not convinced that I'm a little downtrodden that it was that hard to, to pull the dub. And then we had to wait for the fourth quarter to know that there was going to even be a dub against the Cowboys. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll just touch on it for just a second, and then we'll move on. You know, a lot of teams play down to their competition, and this isn't an excuse. It's just reality that in the NFL, it really is any team can win on any given Sunday. So, you know, there's Super Bowl teams that have won and have been blown out. The 1994 San Francisco 49ers lost 40-8 to to Philadelphia Eagles in Week 5. The 1979 Pittsburgh Steelers lost 35-7 to San Diego Chargers in Week 12. The Steelers haven't even lost. Those were losses. But it's going to happen sooner or later. And I hope it does happen because I don't want them to have the stress of trying to go undefeated. But I do like the fact that they're playing together and they're finding ways to win. And as long as you can win in close games and you find a way to win in close games, then you're setting also a routine of doing that. So that's also a positive that you can take away. Richie, real quick, 
Let's give you some, uh, oh, I want to give you this one as a first, just to see if you'll say it. But do you want to defer or play the Saints versus the Buccaneers? Oh, give me that. Give me that. But one second before I start on that. I agree with you guys. I understand the Steelers are playing down to their thing, but we, we've been shitting on the NFC East. And side note to the Steelers, they have a 70% chance of making the playoffs. Obviously, they're going to, but 70% chance. You know who has a higher percent chance, according to uh, statistics? The Philadelphia Eagles, ironically, because of how amazing. Remember, there ain't no people. And still, the Philadelphia Eagles have a 78% chance to make it into the playoffs and the Steelers only have a 70. That's how bad the NFC East is. So even though they won, broad did they win? Um, I will say this too though, in terms of undefeated, come on, man, come on. There's only one team they're gonna play where I could see them losing. They play in Buffalo. That's a game they could easily lose, but come on. They play in the Bengals. They gotta play the Bengals twice. Get out of here, the Bengals. They're gonna play the Jaguars. Like one more Ravens game. Come on, bruh. Like maybe the Bills. I see them going 14-2, 15-1, most likely 15-1. I think the only game they lose is Buffalo. Uh, but back to the game that I'm excited to talk about. My buddy, my man, he had never, ever lost two games and been swept in a season against any opponent in his own division until this year. They lost in the game one and they lost again. And um, I don't think this is Tom Brady's age by any means, but I think it's very obvious when you don't have a mobile quarterback and you apply pressure. And what I was incredibly interested about with the, the Saints game there was it was like man coverage pressing and they were just ready. They're like, you know what, A.B., you are going to be a jinx, brother. We're just going to play you one on one and we're going to push Tom. And that's exactly what they did. I, I think. Uh, that's the biggest issue, and I'm not going to crap on Antonio Brown. He had no relevance in the game. I'm not saying anything disparaging. It was mostly a joke. But the bottom line is um, the Saints just came out and, and did what they always do. I, you know, they, they always show year in and year out. They're an incredible team. And every year they always get real deep in the playoffs. And usually it's unfortunate. You want to talk about like a team that's jinxed? It's the Saints. They always last play of the playoffs every single time NFC championship type stuff. They tend to just barely lose. And every year they're a juggernaut. And Drew Brees, like Ben Roethlisberger and like Tom, is this ancient relic that's still just amazing. It's crazy to watch this dude. And what I really think this came down to, in my opinion, was secretly Jameis Winston. He's on the Saints. And I'm sure he was like, you know what? He likes to do this. So, you know, Drew hit him up. And they lighted him up. And honestly, this game should have been an even bigger blowout. If there weren't for the fumbles, this would have been like 50 to three, man. This game was, I can't say anything positive for Tampa other than, you know what? It's just one game because it is just one game. And that's what's going to happen to any quarterback who gets pressured as bad as Tom Brady got pressured. That, you know, the other thing, people, four rushing attempts, if I remember correctly, they ran the ball for how on earth can you expect any quarterback to be successful when you're basically telling the defense play back press in four man you know what i mean like tom brady didn't have a chance this has nothing to do with tom brady this has everything to do with being out coached quite frankly and bruce arian should be ashamed of himself i don't care how great those wide receivers are i don't care that you have tom brady you don't run the ball four times period in the nfl that's abysmal 
And the reason why they lost is that imbalance that wasn't necessary. They have an incredible offense. And yes, you have Tom Brady, TB12, and your wide receiver set. You just picked up your new toy, Antonio Brown. But you got to run the fucking football, guys. Pardon the language. Like To me, that was the biggest disappointing thing. Like If they ran the football and they still lost 43-3, to I feel like this would be a more discerning thing for Tampa. But the bottom line is they lost because the coach played a poor performance. Sean Payton clearly had a great game plan and designed. And you know what? They made history. Tom Brady has been swept in the regular season by a divisional rival. That's never happened before. So congratulations, Drew Brees. You got one on Tom Brady. That's a cool little stat for you that nobody else will ever share in NFL history against him as an opponent. That's a pretty cool thing. So kudos to them. Kudos to the Saints. Uh, man, I am. I honestly am excited about the NFC. I think there's so many insanely talented teams and it's really, you know, more of a toss up with the AFC. You know, you still got your Kansas City Chiefs and right now you got the Steelers and some people are, you know, rumblings of Buffalo. They're looking pretty damn good. We can easily debate on that if you want to down the road. I think Buffalo is a very solid contender. Baltimore is still six and two, but I, I'm not seeing anything from Jackson. I don't have any faith. So to me, you're really looking at Kansas City and the Steelers. But when you hit the NFC, man, oh boy, you got some teams. You got the Saints, you got the Buccaneers, you got the Seahawks, you got the Cardinals, man. Like you got everything except for the NFC East. We don't need to talk about them ever again. So uh, in short, crazy good game. I did not expect this blowout. This is probably the biggest. I this is the biggest. Whoa, I did not expect a, a, this lack of competitive game out of this. I thought this would be game of the week. And this was a stinker, honestly. I think game of the week to me was the Dolphins. That game was lit. That game was crazy. And this game was just snooze fest, quite frankly. So disappointed, but just a bad coaching game. Yeah, but go Saints. Good job, man. Who day? <laughs> All right, Marvin, I'm going to give you a game that I think that you'll just automatically talk about, but you might not because another team in the AFC that's getting kind of hot Richie just talked about it. So do you want to defer or play the Miami Dolphins and the Arizona Cardinals? I want to defer that one because I haven't seen enough from Miami yet that screams consistency yet. Yeah, sure, Tua, uh, Tegu Iowa, it looks pretty good right now. Uh, he looks phenomenal, but like I said, this is his second start. Um, this obviously isn't an audition. They definitely know who their quarterback is going forward. But it was a great matchup. Um, ultimately, you wanted to see the Cardinals uh, uh, play with a little bit more consistency coming off that bye week. They turned over the ball a few times, but I think ultimately the Cardinals will be okay. But I'll defer that one. Okay. It, it sounded like you deferred, and then you kicked an onside kick, and then you took the ball anyway. <laughs> I, put a, I, put a, I put a Falcons on you. I acted like I was going to pick it up, but you see what I did there? <laughs> I see what you did there. All right, so I'll give you another one. So there, I have two left here. The Seahawks and the Bills, do you want to defer, or do you want to take it? Oh, yeah, I'll take this one. Okay, all right. Okay, y'all. Well, uh, it's been official. Russell Wilson has officially fallen off the MVP wagon after this game um and i'll say that because the seahawks uh, before the trade deadline if you guys have followed um this is why they tried to trade for uh jadavion clowney 
Uh, they try to trade for a few linebackers because they've been absent of a defense. They have no secondary. And when you look at the secondary, it's really not all that good. They have Jamal Adams back there, but he's been hurt. First game back really didn't mean that much. And plus, you're asking, like I say, you're asking Russell Wilson to do too much. Um, too many passing attempts. And if your defense is, is that bad, y'all, folks out there, you can't turn over the football. I mean, he had moments in the game where he threw an interception to the end zone. He fumbled a few times. And if your defense is that bad, you can't give it up. Um, and then and then on top of it, you're asking you're asking Russell Wilson <laughs> to play defense, too. I mean, it's just impossible. Like, he can't do everything. Uh, and on the Bills end, they're cooking. Uh, Josh Allen has turned it around. He's had an erratic last few weeks. Um, his play has been all over the place, but he's managed to get it together. I mean, that defense was making Josh Allen look like Jim Kelly. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, they made him they made him come have a, a comeback week. And, uh, the Bills were able to do what they wanted to do, much like the Saints were able to do what they wanted to do to the Buccaneers. Um, the Bills' defense is just as bad. Uh, when you look at the defense, I mean, look at the defense of the Bills, they still gave up 34 points. The Bills have been giving up, <laughs> they've been giving up 20 plus points for the last few weeks. They even gave up points to the Jets. So that even, that even goes to show you, even though they're contenders, they still have a lot to prove in terms of their level of consistency. But it seems as if the Bills are running away with, with that division. I mean, the Patriots, I mean, the, the game is still going on now, but they're about to lose to the Jets. Uh, so the Bills, clearly the favorites in that division. But the Seahawks, uh, they're not trending in the right direction right now. They're, they really, really did not fix the holes in their defense. And this has been their problem for the last few years in the postseason. It's been inconsistent defensive play. And when they lost to Davion Clowney on the front line, they didn't have anyone that could pressure the quarterback. So they've got no, they've got no pressure on the quarterbacks. So you're leaving the defense with plenty of holes. And... Pete Carroll is, is scratching his head. He doesn't know what to do. I mean, you can't lean on DK Metcalf to carry the entirety of the game. You've got a great receiving core there, but they've had some injuries on the running side of the ball. Chris Carson's been out. They've got DJ DJ Dallas. I mean, come on. I mean, they're, they're, they're scrubbing the bottom of their depth chart, <laughs> asking Russell Wilson to do everything. Uh, but this game was a, a true testament of two weak defenses. The Bills prevailed. Um, the Seahawks, I, they'll, they'll get it together, but their defense clearly has to play better if they don't have a shot at going far in the postseason. Yeah, side note, side note, guys. The Seahawks aren't on pace for the worst pass defense in history. They're about to destroy it, shatter it. There's about to be a thousand worse than the 2011 Packers who have the current record at 47.96. They are on pace 5,794 pass yards allowed. So if they run into the Saints or the Buccaneers, how on earth are they going to stop any of that? I don't care how good Russell Wilson's playing to Marvin's phone. All right. Well, I'm glad that you brought up some statistics right there, Richie, because we're going to do a real quick game before we head off. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a question. We'll go around real quick, and you have to tell me the player that uh, has it. Uh, for the statistics. So I'll give you an example and Richie can go first. Which quarterback has the most interceptions in the National Football League right now? Most? 
the most <laughs> interceptions thrown. This should be this should be real easy. Don't you dare get this wrong. I mean, it's it's gotta be walk it to him, Carson Wentz. It is. It's gotta be. It is. Well, like give it okay. to him, Carson Wentz. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, thank you, Richie. Marvin, which quarterback has the most sacks right now with 32 in the National Football League? Which quarterback has been sacked the most? Correct. Oof. Ah. Mm. Marv, I think it's my guy. I can't confirm, but I think it's my guy. Sack the most. Something, something tells me I want to say Philip Rivers, but I'm not sure. He gets sacked a lot. He does. Um, I don't. I can see. I think it's J- Joe Burrow or it's Carson gotta Wentz. be Joe Burrow. Or Carson Wentz. Right, is, those two. Is it? Is it our boy? Carson Wentz. It's it. Oh. <laughs> Carson Wentz. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Bastard. Sorry for the language. Yeah, pause, folks out there. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I got that wrong. My bad. I clearly saw a game last week where Carson Wentz rolled out to the right, looked downfield, didn't see anyone open. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking like maybe you guys on this panel, he's going to throw it away. It's not going to be intentional grounding. He literally looks at the defender, goes down, and fumbles the football. That was one. I've never seen anything like that. You can't even do that on Madden. It won't let you. It won't let you. It won't let you. (laughs) All right. Justin, which running back in the National Football League has the longest run for 94 yards this season? Oh, boy. You got to know this one, baby. (laughs) I'm going to phone a friend, both of them at the same time. He, I'll give you a hint. I won't give you the direct answer. He was an Alabama boy. Alabama boy. Somebody, we, we refer to him as the cowbell running back. He was the single reason the Patriots got stomped last year in the playoffs. <laughs> oh my God. Tennessee Titans? I got nothing, man. No. Biggest biceps in existence. <laughs> Marvin. I'll let Marv take this one. King Henry. <laughs> yes. King and Henry. And I'm not even going to call him Derek because that's not his name. No, it's, it's King, King Henry. It's King Henry. That's right. That's right. So, real quick, just so I'll give you another one. Which quarterback? As of right now, has the most rushing touchdowns with eight. Uh, yes, I said eight. Eight rushing touchdowns. Is that? He, he's tied uh, with King Henry. <laughs> eight touchdowns, but he's a quarterback. Uh, 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 I know this one. Is it? Uh, my my God. <laughs> My guess, my my gut is telling me uh, Patrick Mahomes, but nope. I'm probably off. Nope. Mm-hmm. Anybody else want to take a guess before I move on? Yeah. Richie, want to go? Marv, you go, you go, but I, I think I know who it is. The only reason I, go. I know this is because 
this man is on my fantasy team and he is lighting it up. Kyler Murray. The game. Kyler That's Murray right, Kyle. is correct. All right. So moving on. Beast. Wide receivers in the NFL. Who has the most receptions so far in the year with 63? It's just a guess. I know this one. Actually, I do know this one because they are actually, I think they're also leading in total yards in the NFL right now, which you wouldn't expect when you have teams like Seattle and Arizona and all these other ones. But it's Stefan Diggs of Buffalo. He actually has the most receptions. He does have the most receptions. Do so you know team as well? Who knows who has the most receiving touchdowns in the National Football League right oh, now? Oh shit! I don't and know. Nine. Oh, Devontae Adams. He has eight. Oh, oh. Um, and it's not DK either. Is it Chase Claypool? Uh, DK Metcalf. Nope. He has, he has eight as well. Damn. Who's back? Right. Boy, Tyree. Tyree. Tyreek Hill, yes sir, yes sir. That dude scores every week. Of course he does. All right, here's one of my favorites. Here's one of my favorites. Who is leading the National Football League on the defensive side, individual player with sacks? Yeah. Well, first of all, my boy Miles, but it's not just Miles. It's also the other guy I've talked a million times over. And the boy makes bank Aaron Donald, the greatest defensive player in modern history. That's even over Ray Lewis. He's a defensive tackle people who gets doubled all day. And he is leading the league with nine sacks. I know that one for sure. So Miles Garrett and Aaron Donald both have nine sacks, but there's a player that has 10. What? Anybody want to take a guess on the player that has 10? Who has 10? Yannick. Indok. Yes. Yannick Indokwe. Yannick yes. Indokwe's got 10? He's got 10 sacks. Man, that guy is, he's still going. He is still going. All right, last but not least. Well, actually, I'll do one more after this. Um, because I just want to. In the National Football League. Wow. Maybe that's a really terrible one to do. Let's do this one. <laughs> this makes it a little bit better. In the National Football League, who has the most interception yards at 110 yards? Yeah, this is a complete total guess. Buda Baker. <laughs> nope. It's very close. Buddha has 90. That's a really yeah, good game. You would have got it if you didn't get caught by DK Metcalf. You should right. get that touchdown. <laughs> What'd you say, Justin? I didn't say nothing. Oh, okay. This is, decent, um, this is a defensive player. Defensive player. I was close. It's not Buddha. Um... Might not Malcolm Butler. Nope. Malcolm Malcolm Butler's on there. That's a good guess. Malcolm Butler's at 97. It's Dante Jackson of the Carolina Panthers. Which at 110. I was gonna do interceptions, but there was like five people tied with four interceptions, so I didn't want to do that. And finally, last but not least, I just wanna do 
this real quick because I think it would be fun. In the National Football League, with at least 11 attempts, you all should know this. I'm sorry, 18 attempts, 11 made. Which field goal kicker is the worst percentage kicker in the National Football League with 11 field goals out of 18 attempts at 0.611%. Wow, I'm trying to think. Steven Gostowski. Steven Gostowski? Yes. Reason why I know that, because all you fancy footballers out there, leave him on the waiver wire. Don't pick him up. Not even (laughs) worth it. (laughs) The stats stats say it all. Thanks, Tony, for letting everyone know that. You're very much welcome. The stats say it all. So, yeah, I just wanted to do something a little bit different, uh, you know, to kind of close out the show, kind of get us all, you know, engaged with what's actually going on. It's kind of, you know, midway season. We're actually a little bit past the midway season, but uh, it's, you know, going into the third quarter of the National Football League. It's going to get a lot tighter. You know, some teams are going to lose the teams that they shouldn't lose to. Some teams are going to beat teams that they should beat, and they're going to beat teams that they probably shouldn't beat. So that's just how it's going to happen. You're listening and watching to The Wire. It's a great talk about golf. Make sure you follow up and and you uh, watch the Masters this weekend. MMA debate. I'll have more information for you later on and nfl talk next week but we have something special we're going to do goat wrestler next week in the wwe right in the wwe is that what we're doing or just greatest wrestler ever greatest wrestler ever WWE, wwf wcw awa njbcw all the wvw all the W's. All the wrestlers. We're going to also do the MAA. That's a joke. E-C-Dub. It's not going to be the MAA. <laughs> but see, right. forget about y'all, y'all fighting fans out there. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.